Hello and welcome to When Will It End? It's the movie podcast where two friends, two buddies, two chums, two amigos watch the movies. We ask ourselves, is they good? Um, I'm we, on we, board. We're, we're, we've reached the final film in our most recent series, and I have to say, I'm a little heartbroken because I really think if you followed us through the Riddick verse, I think mm. we really struggled to fall in love with that series. It yeah. really did not make it easy. Oh, I'm Josh, by the way. Oh, yeah. I'm Charles, too. Well, you're not Charles. You're just Charles. No one else is Charles. So you're just... Well, there's lots of other Charleses. I'm just saying... But I didn't say I'm Charles, hence adding on the addendum Charles as well. No one... I mean, I'm Charles to a ho. I'm Charles, comma. To a ho? <laughs> you're Charles to a ho? I'm, I'm host, too. To a host. I'm to a host. Okay, I see you know, what you're the, saying. The, the classics. I said I'm Josh. You said I'm Charles, too. Yeah. I'm Charles, too, a host. It, okay. It's a parenthetical. All right, fair enough. It's a, yeah. Okay. I'm um, a grammar nerd. Just trust me. It's it's important. I'm Yeah, no, I, the last thing I want to do is besmirch your reputation it's as an, a it's strict an, adherent. It's an, it's an invisible modifier, okay? Hey, you know what else is invisible? Freaking God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that guy's penis. No, you saw his penis. Why, I don't even know how we, we went right to the, the Polish man's penis, but we definitely saw it. So, okay. We are talking about Pusher 3 today, the third and final Pusher film in Nicholas Winding Vinding. It's, it's Vinding. Nicholas Vinding Refn's Pusher trilogy. Really one of the most unique franchises we've covered so, so far. Good. And I would say above and beyond for a trilogy easily in contention for the best we've done. Right. Uh, now, just to catch up listeners, because, you know, time passes on by like a choo-choo train chugga, chugga, i mean chugga, also to, to speak on that uh, i know nick must have gotten up this morning confused scared feeling alone because he usually you know listens he, he cannot get through a monday some people need the coffee i know you could just recently quit so this maybe that metaphor doesn't work quite as well for you but no i get it uh nick I drank coffee for a while yes, so i remember okay, so you it's remember. been like five weeks now just for just for transparency's sake I did consume right. two coffee beverage, beverages over the weekend because I had quit for weeks and I was going to a big event and I decided that it would be a fun thing to power me through a big event by going back to drinking coffee. I love that. I think that's awesome. I think what Milo, we'll talk about Milo's addiction a little bit later, but I think that's really what sets you apart from most loser addicts is that you can, t- you can take the taste, but then walk away from that turkey. That's one of the best sentences you've ever said. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it couldn't have been easy as a vegan. Well, I was thinking of the, the squishy the squishy paste that people pretend is turkey on holidays. No, it's, it's a robust sort of... The, 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 I actually, you know, as someone who's vegan for years, I have a lot of really fond memories of the tofurkey and such. Oh, like, I was thinking of the field roast cel- celebration ham. So no, I guess no, that's it's not, not even called the ham. It's called like celebration, celebration loaf, loaf or something. Yeah. Or, it's really it's funny. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I say go with the tofurkey. Just douse that thing. I've never fucking, had one. Really? Yeah. What is it? Is it shaped we'll do, like a turkey? We'll, we'll do a friendsgiving this year. It's Great. basically like, a, you know, like a weird roast bundle of joy stuff. Yeah. It's good. It, it's good. People make fun of it. I actually think it's super easy to make a delicious tofurkey. I actually, w- listeners will remember, I made the like honey ham for thanksgiving last year and and did people like it well no that's the they thing they didn't is, like wait, it wait, they didn't like it i am it. coming back strong like a milo here uh you would describe him no. in this movie as back and better better than ever i'm just, just saying people are and... shitting on his food all the time but i 
the the ham we realized it's you make it and then you have to cook it again twice baked ham right so the i unfortunately served a milo style once cooked to cook ham and gave everyone like bronco like basically freaking, gum yeah freaking the the shits but uh we, we i had it for sandwiches the next day i sliced it up fried it in a pan sauteed it i guess well delicious thanksgiving's all about the leftovers but we're not here to talk no. about thanksgiving you were saying that our listener nick yes. is probably upset because due to the fart of a not hurricane or not barely everyone's even a tropical so storm henry everyone's like oh henry we're all gonna die yeah, it's all. It's also it's Henri, not Henry. Henri. So we waited to record this until uh, we were in a situation where we weren't concerned about the weather. So it's a little late. Sorry, everybody. It's coming out on Monday. It's coming out on Monday. Still. Right. If we're going by the Gregorian calendar, we're doing fine. So shut the fuck up. Yeah, and enjoy please, the episode. Please be quiet. Uh, yes. So 2005's Pusher Three. This is a franchise unlike any other. Pusher comes out, and it's clearly Reffin being like, I'm young, dumb, full of cum, and I'm going to make my mean streets, my good fellas. It's going to be this, you know, neck-snappingly quick-paced cinema verite. We got what seems like two hand cameras and a lot of people talking in rooms. It's great. Yeah. Uh, You know, he follows it up years later out of financial necessity, makes Pusher 2, focusing on the the delightful Mads Mikkelsen as Tawny, and we go from... The first movie, which again is sort of like the classic, he's got one week to get the deal straight, but shit's all topsy-turvy. Yeah. Then we go very boldly to a sequel, which is like, this guy's out of prison, there isn't really anything going on in his life. It's such a change. He might be a father, and probably is a father, but it's not entirely clear if he's a father. He has to confront his own father, and, and ultimately come to terms with the fact that maybe he can be a better father than his father. Which, let's be real, Tani, it seems like... You got a lot stacked against you. Yeah. So this comes out the next year. And this is all because Refn and his production company lost a shitload of money making Fear X, a movie I have not seen that you, you seem we'll to watch it. We'll together. watch it. Yeah. yeah. So like it. out of necessity, he, he creates a franchise, which is really fascinating. And not only does he go back to the well of Tani, uh, now the three time well, including if you subscribe to our Patreon, we covered the remake of Pusher. Which also features our delightful oh star, the guy who is the one person to thread the needle on all four of these movies, Milo. Yeah. Yeah. We get the Milo movie. Right, because uh, we'll talk Radavan's back in this one, but he skipped two. The cunt was in two and three, but not one. Tawny was, of course, in one and two, but not three. Yeah, Milo is the king. And, of course, being in the remake is just makes him the, the ultimate king of Copenhagen, which many people claim that title in this movie. But well, I, one I think- person. Muhammad claims it, and he makes fun because I'm King Kong of Copenhagen. Yeah, which is racist. Well, also just silly because you know, you know, you know, ha ha! You're not a king; you're a big monkey guy. Which uh. I get. There's a racist undertone to it, but I'm trying to be forgiving and be like, look, there is a lot of uh, a lot of <laughs> you... Slavic racism in this movie. <laughs> oh boy, is it really? I mean, Mike, I know you're not with us today, but you're not alone, buddy. Right, R- Radovan does not seem to think that a dead oh, Albanian counts as it's a dead amazing. person. It's, no, uh, it's it's awesome. Uh, He's like, wait, you got two bodies? What is what the fuck's going on here, Milo? And he's like, well, that's an Albanian. He goes, oh, that's fine. Oh, fine. Doesn't Whatever. Matter. Yeah. So, yeah. So we get, um, I would argue, my favorite kind of movie, which is A Day in the Life of a Guy. You love that. You love the Stuck in a House movie or a Confined Space movie. Yeah, you like it. And this movie combines I I, that because we really yeah. basically ping pong between, you know, other than we, we yeah. see multiple locations, but there's. Milo's having a crazy day where he's got to go to his Narcotics Anonymous meetings. Mm-hmm. He's got to 
pull off his daughter's 25th birthday party. He is perennially popping back to his own club, both out of necessity and out of the fact that it's his sad, dank, fake home. Yeah, home I would base. say calling it a club is, you mean, it's more like, it's, a a, it's more closer to a club sandwich than a club, I would say. Because it's greasy? It's greasy. It's small. It's mostly made out of just, I don't know. It's like the a white bread club sandwich. It's it's not a club. It is a restaurant. They, they call it a club. I mean, it's their hang. Luan is like Luan, the the other the Albanian mob yeah. boss guy who he's indebted to due to a dodgy ecstasy sale. You can't get through a push pusher movie without, without a dodgy, a dodgy, dodgy deal. It's so good, and it's it's great because like this movie at first it seems like fan service, right? You're like, we love this gregarious Croatian guy who look is he a, a bad motherfucker? Absolutely, mm. but Milo genuinely like Radovan in the first movie. There are these guys who kind of want to play house and. Radovan's like, you know, he's, he confides in in uh, in Frank, like, oh, I kind of want to be a what makes shish kebab. And Radovan keeps, uh, excuse me, and then Milo keeps forcing his bad cooking on people. Yeah, everyone. Right. And, and so in this movie, we get back to like Milo, you know, it's him and his guys in his club and he's feeding everybody. He's like, I've got to get ready for the party. And he's going to N.A. meetings. And you're like, oh, OK, well, Milo's. You know, this is pretty wholesome stuff. Yeah, Milo's being Milo. Right? How could this end in the, the the ritual butchering of a Polish man? But what's awesome? We we were talking. There's a huge. I love that this does continue the franchise of one. Like it doesn't throw away movie which we've seen before. It uses one. It builds off it. But there's such a difference between two, three, the two, three combo and one. Uh, and I love that both two and three begin with a scene that is people talking that just tells you exactly what is going to happen. Yeah, in, in Busher 2, in prison, Tani gets a talk from another inmate who explains to him that he's not fully grown up yet and he needs to grow up. And then we get into the movie. And in this one, you know, they, 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 man, they set the table so beautifully. Where Milo's in his, his NA meeting and he's like, look, here's the deal. Just trying to get through this freaking day. Kind of a cra- It's a crazy one, but you know what? If I can just get through it. I think we're all going to be it's okay. so the last line, like he's like you know it's so stressful. Uh, everyone's offering me coke. Or I guess I was at the second one, but he sort of implies like I have drugs at my access, and it's hard to say no. It's very stressful, and I just got to get through this day. And then it just cuts to the credit music. We get the same credits, and it's just like the the wonderful oh. yes the 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 darkened silhouettes of the main players with their names underneath in the classic pusher style. Yeah, and yeah, the fact that like you know. I think what makes this series so fascinating is that because it's so it's it does what seems like the impossible taking a gritty raw European art house movie and making it this sandbox where it is like a bleak nightmarish Copenhagen is the sandbox yeah. and a bunch of drug addled murderers are the main characters but like yeah like it's funny where like late in the movie when he goes back to Radovan dude, like it's Radovan I was just about to say like art house kids are all like oh, I only watch, like, franchises that aren't real, like, you know, like the Red, White, and Blue trilogy, like, just, like, coming up with fake trilogies to be like, oh, I'm cool, I don't like franchising, but I like an obscure trilogy. And we're lucky this imaginary art film snob isn't here, because we'd beat his ass. Also, it is Charles. It's me. I used to beat my own ass. Uh, I love that this movie fully embraces the franchise. Like, this has fucking cameos it has callback moments it has things there if you haven't been watching the other movies you wouldn't get and i think refin is the king not just of copenhagen but also of using tropes 
subverting tropes but still embracing the trope and like doing both at the same time to create this i don't know really i mean i'm sure there are other filmmakers doing it but like to someone to be so indebted to past traditions but also just like so speeding away with them too and just like taking them and and adopting them and just like calling them his own children the detective novel the drug novel like he's he's just he takes them he takes them for his own and it's awesome I think what's so lovely about this that honestly I like a lot less about his later work is that this is so unstylized. This yes. is this could not even be compared more, to two. Like two, to two is starting to get to like oh this is ref and we're here. Yeah, and this one has beautiful shots and beautiful moments. Like we both there's this one moment where Milo goes back to look into a or like a freezer. This like there's like this saturated pale yellow light filling yeah. the screen. And we see sort of the outline of Milo's face against it. It's very beautiful and impressionistic. But you know, yeah, two I would say has the artiest vibe of all of them because one I, mean, I guess Mads Mikkelsen is just sort of like a human statue that I love looking at. Mm. But but this is really like lots of like. I just think about when we talk about like playing with these franchises, he's not doing anything meta about the franchise. He's just like, hey, here's Carl. Right. Carl the cunt fucking sucks, but he grew out his hair and his role in the movies is to be the awful asshole. We know him to be. He's going to give Milo some some dope. Yeah. And then that's it. He's in and out. and He's gone. It's so good. And then, like, but it's know, in the same way that Milo is was uh, in and out of two was cunts little in and out right and that sounded awful the way i just put it but hey. the way he comes in and is like oh it's milo and he's the one fuck like makes uh the cunt's life and then vis-a-vis tawny's life miserable it's just because of this one guy he comes in he leaves and then whoa shit everything's fucked and it's the same exact thing it's even more overt it's like i must stay clean i must not use and then it's like oh it's this character from two who totally sucks and Oh, he's of course the one who's going to leave the little packet of heroin to right. start this madness. And and again, like because he's not interested in building some sort of grand narrative, and this is not leading towards any, you know, there's no interconnecting moment. There's no these guys are all trapped in in drab, shitty hells of their own creation, and all of them. I would say Tawny of anyone in the movies seems like he has the most dramatic turn at the end, where yeah. his seemingly cursed effort at fatherhood, which is like very hard to put chips on it's like all right tawny you're making a change you killed your dad and ran away with your baby so you know but but i think it's (laughs) it's it's the same though too in a lot of ways where it's all three of these movies end with the camera just lingering on a man pondering and each one is pondering a fate that i think they know and i think they're they don't want to confront. And that's why we just like, each one is left at these moments of pause where they finally get a break, but it's just a break. It's just a, the smallest moment of breath before they have to go back and deal with an even bigger shit storm that they've now created. Yeah, it's just like concentric circles of like, just, either, you know, it, it's like, and this one I thought was so interesting because like Milo is trying to be a good father and it, it has, there's this amazing scene where in the middle of his daughter's birthday party, they get into an extended negotiation over heroin prices. So he, he tells her shitty fiance, like, look, if you're going to sell heroin and be married to my daughter, you're only going to buy from me, which is his way of protecting his daughter, I guess, which is very my, well, and also himself. Though. And also it himself. is very <laughs> clear that it's a selfish, like, I don't want you, you're not going to be married to my daughter and be the competition. I will kill you if you do that. So you need to buy from me. Right. And so then his daughter, like, essentially hardballs her own father on heroin wholesale prices. And it's beautiful because at first you're like, oh, my God, it's heartbreaking. You know, Milo, he, he wanted to raise his daughter and be a, a good 
dad and and break away from this squalid life and but he's definitely extremely proud of her for doing a good job doing, like negotiating a fair yeah. price they come to a number together and they embrace and like it's really funny because that's the thing you know it's funny because like you know refin is not imbuing tawny's choice to run away with his son is not heroic it's really fucked up and yeah. not good. No, and, he steals a baby. Right. And he, this is a like a barely functioning drug addict who has no skills other than lying and cheating and manipulating. And yeah. He just sucks. And in this movie, too, it's like Milo, he's being a good dad on his terms, which are, by anyone's measure, probably not to the standard of excellent fatherhood in that, like... He's mostly proud that his daughter did a good job in getting into the drug scene in her own terms, mm. which is like both heartwarming that he doesn't infantilize her or treat her like a child or whatever. But like at the same time, it's like, oh boy, like, you know, you guys are really fucked. Like this whole family yeah. is just fucked. And I, so I think what this movie does really well, and it's a surprising, it's a, a lot of surprising quiet moments from Refn in this one where he pairs his real daughter's birthday with a polish sex slave who maybe it's her birthday maybe she's lying it's never clear but like like so many things in these movies and he is barely present at his daughter's birthday party he's there for the speech and he has the business talk but then he like very lovingly lights a birthday candle and gives it to someone he doesn't know who just because it's like that the connection there was really strong and it was sort of loaded in the same way that you know, Tawny has his weird, like, stepbrother that's 10, and that dynamic of, like, oh, where do I fall amongst my, my parents' love? But, like, that moment is really strange how he connects Milo to this total stranger, and it's really effective. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, that's sort of the turning point in the movie, when he sympathizes, basically... He's expecting to get heroin from these Albanians. Oh, you're going to go, you're going to do, you're going to do the I'm, plot. I'm, I'm doing light, you're a light No, do the whole plot. thing. A light plot. Go. He's expecting to get heroin from these Albanians. Instead, gets what looks like ecstasy. Could be candy. Might could still be, be ecstasy. Might still be ecstasy. We, we do we not know. We never know. It's not really clarified at any point. Because he accidentally food poisons his own guys, <laughs> the young cocky Muhammad, who calls himself the king of Copenhagen, much to Milo's delight, um, says, I'll do it. Don't worry about it. In many ways, taking on the Frank Tawny role. There, if there was pusher four about Muhammad, I would love to see it. Because well, again, we don't folks, really know. Pretty sure he's dead, but it's hard to say. There's a very strong chance. Sorry, he's dead. I just totally <laughs> fucked up your whole That's plot okay. thing because I jumped to the right. very end. But so, I think so he's dead. The, the action now shifts between trying to carry off the perfect birthday party for his daughter and the reality that Muhammad has not come back with the money from the ecstasy deal or the ecstasy. So these Albanians who are angry at him are like, look. We'll give you a, a break, but basically you have to work for us now, which Milo hates. And it turns out what they want him to do is use his club as the staging ground for human trafficking. This this mm. young woman from Poland who apparently has just turned 18 that very day when it becomes convenient for the guy trying to sell her to a, a madame, in, uh, a madame, if you will, in Copenhagen. Yeah, you can say it either way. Madame, madame. Yeah. Uh, I think in honor of Henri, we should say madame. Madame. Yeah. Um. We- so basically, Milo like is like this fucking sucks. I'm trying to be dad of the year and, and pull off this party, and now I have to babysit this human trafficking deal while these rude Albanians and Poles yell at me. I hate this. And one thing leads to another, and as the Polish quote unquote owner or trafficker of this young woman starts to torture her uh, after she attempts a brief escape, uh, Milo's had enough. 
and busts out his lucky hammer mm-hmm. and beats the fuck out of the Polish guy. How many Russian movies have hammers? Oh my god, he. Lo- I mean, Drive it's, it's has such a hammer. A, the yeah. last one had a hammer. This, I mean, it, he, it's interesting that he's he sort of embraces the fist, but honestly, very little violence in Refn movies are committed by like fists. Well, and, and then also the, the, the symbolic neutering or castration of Gosling in Only God Forgives yeah, is literally... A, so he loves the, the metaphor of the yeah. fist, but he rarely actually shows a, a solid swipe at a jaw or something. That's true. Yeah, I think that's there's something to that. Yeah, so anyways, he lets the young Polish woman escape. The Albanian guy comes back. He kills him with a hammer. <laughs> And then he's like, oh, boy. And, and, and in the midst of this, he has relapsed and gone back to smoking heroin. So, and, and well, and, you know, there's... I want to take a, a little break there for that, because I think what's awesome about this movie is that this movie sets it up as about an addict. And he is an addict and he definitely needs these drugs. But what is awesome is that it doesn't really matter. In fact, honestly, the drugs are probably helping because this has nothing to do whether he's high or not. This shit was going to happen either way, and the fact that he's high, like, he maybe acts a little different, but he still would have done everything the same. Like, it's not, there's no blaming, oh, if only Milo hadn't relapsed, none of this would have happened. It's like, no, this is just his fucking life. Well, th- that's thank a, th- God th- the cunt no, showed up with some heroin. There's no moralizing either way. Yeah. Because, like, again, what I was trying to get to earlier with the fan service comment was that it'd be really fun to be like, oh, Milo, we love this guy. Milo's a terrible person. <laughs> he he's, he's an awful man. I mean, we love Milo. We love Milo, but, like, you know, he's but... the most likable of a group of horrible people. Anyways... He goes back to re-enlist his old friend, Radovan, who delightfully mm. has become the owner of what looks like a terrible pizzeria slash fish kebab shop. Yeah. And, and Radovan, who at first is like, look, buddy, I'm out of the game. And he's like, OK, I'll help get rid of some. I'll help intimidate someone and get rid of some bodies one last time. And Radovan, for the record, has a little shirt, a blue shirt We're with Radovan. We're getting these shirts. Embroidered everyone. on the pocket. Everyone. So bad. If you want, if fuck squad members, if you want to be like us. And be like Radovan, and then yeah. be and these, and then go back to being like Radovan. We're getting the shirts. Uh, just let me know. Send in your email, size, number you want. I'll get the order in. I'll get it out to you. And again, just to underscore the lack of moralizing in these movies, like Radovan isn't doesn't just do a favor of you're at first. Like, oh, he's going to intimidate Muhammad. Okay, sure. You know, then <laughs> then after they like, you know, he like ritually suffocates and un- you know, he's, he really mm. tortures. It's it's really unpleasant with a plastic bag. Yeah, it was very unpleasant. Right. And they, they they jam Muhammad in a in a freezer after making him eat some ecstasy pills and or candy. And then they go back to the club and then we get this really one of the most banal horror scenes I've ever seen yeah. where they've got to get rid of these bodies and they just dispassionately and thoroughly drain the blood from the corpse after stripping it, take out this guy's innards. So now Milo is jamming awful, human awful, down a garbage disposal. Well, it's just like shots of it spinning and just like just him, like guts and him, just like like a magician pulling hanky out of a sleeve. He's just like tearing uh, intestines away from itself into a long string. It's, and while he does that, Radovan is sawing apart bodies and putting them in bags. Yeah, and, and, and he's and like, where's the, where's the, where's the outlet? I just need an outlet for this saw. And he's right. like, oh, so, yeah, so it's right over there. Again, lest we be like, oh, look at these lovable. Like, Radovan, as his one favor, goes back to torture and butchery. Yeah. Very casually. So quickly. <laughs> like, and, like, it, it, that's the thing about this. Like, Refn really, 
he does this wonderful thing where it's very human. We see yeah. these very human people having meaningful interactions, and at the same time showing that these very human people are extremely fucking cold and awful. And it, it, it's it's great. It is. I think that's what really sets him apart for me is he's not a filmmaker that I ever like am moved to tears by. I don't think ever. But what he does so well is he tackles instinct and drive what we sometimes really want to do and turns it into a trope, but then still connects it in the same way that like when I lose my wallet, I'm fucking pissed. And like, I like, I'm so like, I get angry and like these deep seated, like just this drive of, of anger, hurt, repression, all these things that we all go through. He just encapsulated into a drug dealing murderer. But it's, he treats it the same. He films it the same. They talk about it the same. It's so mundane and boring. This movie is so fucking boring. But in a way that's so, like, connects you with everything that's going on. It's not boring and, like, I don't want to watch this anymore. It's just, this is life. He's just showing us the life of Milo. Yeah, honestly, I really wish he'd get back to this kind of filmmaking because I don't think I like... I, 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 I'm excited to rewatch Only God Forgives, for example, which I've seen a couple times, but I haven't seen Drive in a long time. And having watched these, I really enjoy it because, you know, he's obsessed with the inevitability of violence. Yeah. And yeah. all of these roads end in one direction, and it's murder and pain and torture. And... There's something about this, again, that's being presented so bluntly as opposed to his more celebrated era of extreme stylization of all of these same trends. I'm very interested to compare and contrast those things because in this, you know, so let's talk about the soundtrack for a minute. Mm. You know, did you look that up? I've not looked it up yet, but uh, there's like these, you know, constantly these like lurching, screeching, agonizing industrial noise tracks that play um, over Milo, it's, it's not like just in a kitchen thinking about what to do next. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not awesome. like, it's it's really funny. Yeah, it's really the way, and also I noticed background noise too. There's a scene where he's uh, trying to deal with Muhammad, trying to figure out like how much to pay him and come to with a new deal. And in the background, there's this like electric hum, which I don't know if everyone feels this way, but for some reason that noise is, makes me incredibly tense, especially if it's not really acknowledged and just sits on the back of a movie. And he uses both diegetic sound and then this like really intense. Oh, Milo! Wait, is that there's the soundtrack is on Bandcamp, guys. This is huge. Everyone, oh my go- god! Google Pusher Three Original Motion Picture Soundtrack by Peter Peter and Peter Kayed. Um, they describe themselves as Peters. legendary Danish punkers. Legendary Peters. Yeah. Can we play the track? Well, I mean, your phone maybe speakers. you can. I'll send you the. I'll buy it and send you the things. You get but, to buy uh, it. I'm fine with that. Oh, no, that's fine. Just, they don't have like a teaser track or something. They do, but I, I'm not going to play it into my phone. Okay, into this, into the mic. Well, anyway, we're we're just a secret now. Everyone's got to find it yourself. We already told you how. Yeah, it's on Bang Camp. Anyway, so yes, uh, at that point they dispose of the bodies, and and for much of the movie we've seen, and again, this is why he's so fucking good. I would say, except for the and except for the Narcotics Anonymous scenes. And his home at the very end. Hmm. Everywhere else is bathed in artificial light. Yeah, and all you can. There's no windows, and if there are, it's there. I don't remember them. Like that's they're, not they're the point of the building. Frosted or closed, or there's blinds down. But yeah. basically, when he's in the Narcotics Anonymous meetings, where again he's like, "Hey guys, I'm an addict. I'm trying really hard here. I'm under a lot of pressure." Actually, and there's glass everywhere in those rooms. Right. Yeah, you like see the outside. I think that's really amazing the way he uses that space where it's he's like. 
he comes in, but then he immediately, like, he's the first one out of the meeting. It's like, meeting's over. Okay, back to life. Right. Back and, to and get then the fuck out of at here. At the very end, he goes back after having uh, theoretically disposed of the bodies. Again, and he's emotion. He's, he's registering zero emotion about this, basically. Right. It's just something he has to get through as part of his weird life. <laughs> and he gets home, and, you know, it, it's like the the dawn is maybe just broken it's this mm. misty morning and the light is very it's like you know diffuse natural gray sunlight and his daughter makes him a cup of coffee and says yeah, i'm going back to bed and he gets his coffee and oh but there's a great scene before that he's like he says good night she goes in danish it's good morning and that's the last line of the movie is right it's good the, morning it's yeah. just like this like strangely triumphant good morning as he goes to stand over an empty pool and like think a, about a broken he goes into his backyard and and he's like a lovely it's the classic scorsese thing where it's like he's like this like fine house it's a nice house it's not like a, this glorious mansion he no. hangs out all day in a in a disgusting ass <laughs> murder <laughs> site it was like yeah. horrible ass club and then like goes home to a fine looking apartment it looks lovely it's it's you know it, but it's not it's kind of like frank's apartment where it's like it's fine it's, it's pretty it's, good right and then he just stands smoking a cigarette uh, in front of an empty pool with a broken little ladder and, and the movie ends them just standing there and, and i would say what makes this movie so powerful to me is that it introduces these themes without giving any weight to them that w- and i'll try to explain that mm. like we find out he had a wife who he loved yeah. who died yeah and he raised his daughter lovingly and and learned to cook and, and so we we understand more of his sad attempts to create a cursed diseased fake domesticity we understand more about yeah. milo but we're just as uh, assured that he is living in a hell that he very much has created for himself and, and no matter his and, and, and the, the sarma the stuffed cabbage poisoning his own troops like it's the perfect metaphor for his sad fake fatherliness where He's not really making a daughter. He's making another Milo, basically. Yeah, it's sad. And, and he's not really creating homes anywhere. He's creating places where a home-cooked meal that, that ruins your life. You yeah, know? and where you can do a drug deal while you're waiting to make a dinner. Yeah. Right. So so the, the, that his, his sad half-ass attempt at domesticity is poisoned from the get-go. And he and then the last shot of him with the empty pool in the in the gray sky and like the featureless world around him of just like a bland home like it's not really a home it's his it's it's another illusion Milo has created that's home like but not home yeah and I think what's cool about these two the first one seemed very obvious that like regardless of whether he's Frank's killed by Milo he's fucked like he has gotten to a point where he has no way to get money and he cannot escape but he has chosen to stay and i think that's like what's fascinating about that one is that he has an out but he chooses to stay even though he knows his death is basically inevitable these two are strange well okay so so frank is a low-level dealer with no basically can barely stay afloat he can't even have sex with his girlfriend. Well, he's unless just... you're the cool uh, British one. We're there. He's got shitload oh, of God. money and just a, for some reason chooses not to pay. Listen somebody. to the Patreon to hear us shit all over the very, very misguided remake of yes. Pusher. Pusher 2, we have Tawny who's like in a crime family. His father is a, a Don, so to speak. He has a weirdly slightly elevated place in the crime world, though he goes out of his way to undercut himself whenever possible. And his his father (laughs) does not really like him at all. But like, you know, yeah, he has this weird, he has something that, that Frank doesn't have. He has this sort of flexibility of like, well, if I get my shit together, my dad is a powerful boss. So I theoretically, if I wasn't a fucking idiot, you know, I have some way to grow or change or something. And now we're at the level of like, a boss. You know, is Milo a is boss. a full boss. And yeah. his problems that come with being a full boss are like 
you know, if Frank is about is like a lost boy who is sexually immature, emotionally immature, violent, and has no future, and Tawny is this guy grappling with what it means to be a son and what it means to be a father, Milo sort of like is, you know, and then the movie goes out of its way to underscore you're old, old man. Yeah. You don't know the music. You know, you're out of date. You need young guys like me. So he's sort of like, like this, like the grandfatherly figure here where he's like the graying older boss who's trying to figure out like, you know, what have I created? What at the end of the day, what what is this world that I have built? And and it, and that's why it has that weird emotional quality that like like Frank is like a fucking wrecking ball running around crazed. Yeah, he hasn't built anything. He's just trying to like not drown. Tawny lives in this space that he can't really understand how to interact with and doesn't have the, the ability or the intelligence to to build on. And Milo has this sort of like squalid, sad little empire, but it's shitty. It it's sucks. Shitty. It it's sucks humbling. so bad. And what I think is really this one is the most set up for disaster where like the the cop who's like if you kill muhammad we will kill you and it's sort of i mean it's not as ambiguous at the end but it's left pretty clear that muhammad is not doing well and so that's happening he's also killed the number two guy for the albanian crew so he's got that whole crew on his ass and then but he's still, he's the boss. And it's like, well, Frank was, you just sort of like, yeah, he's fucked. And that's like why that ending is so sad and, and like feels harsh is that, oh, we're watching a man who's breathing his last breaths. Milo could survive this somehow. And like that makes it even worse is that Milo's standing in his backyard, smoking a cigarette. And this is just a day in the life of Milo. This is not a special week. This is not a circumstance that Frank is like, oh, I've reached the end. This is just like, I have to make it through today so I can do this again tomorrow. And that sucks. Like, this is the coldest, I think, of the three. Yeah, it's it's really quite devastating. Because again, like, what you're, what you're hitting on is that there's the childishness in Frank and, and Tawny that makes it, like, you know, more obviously sad in a way because they're just, like, broken young men who just don't have it figured out. But, like, Milo's, like, this is Milo's life 100%. He's not going to Spain. He's not running away with his do- with his son. This is really it. This to is to it. stay at this level, you know, you got to hack up a Polish guy and feed his guts into a, in a into a fucking thing. And you know, I think part of it, it's funny. It's like, is this last time I'll bother Radovan? Like, does, will right, Radovan do me a favor again too. down the line? Yeah, because you know, all these guys, like you know, everyone sort of is is you know, they're they're like it's an umbilical cord. They can't stay away from this. No. Like, it's it's so, it's not even the drugs. It's just like this lifestyle is so, it's all consuming. Yeah. And that's why I really like that they made such a point to show the attic scenes because it really does show how, like, unaffected he is in a lot of ways by it. And I think that's, like, honestly, he feels like he's more addicted to the idea of addiction at this point where he's no he's going to use. So the way he gets through things is like, all right, I just have to get through today without using but then the using is also fine because it's like okay i just needed it like it doesn't matter to him anymore who fucking cares whether he's using or not he's way past the point of that being the biggest problem in his life like that's why it's so funny there's all these norms you're like i'm a year sober and he's just like yeah i'm probably gonna chop up a guy tonight like this who gives a shit whether i use a little heroin yeah no, I mean, I would say this is a stone cold masterpiece. I loved this movie. Yeah, and it's it really funny. It's hilarious. Like, yeah, in the same way that one was sort of funny halfway, and then it got sad. Like, Milo is there's some really funny stuff. Like the guy shitting his pants in the car, and just like I don't know. But again, it comes down to the 
whether he's showing a man shitting his pants or showing a man getting cut up and, and ripped apart to then just be thrown away. It's like they're all treated the same. Everything is given that flat line of reality to let everything else speak for itself. Yeah, and it's like the worst of Guy Ritchie is when he's trying to do guys hanging out and talking and it just comes out sounding like a bizarre thing. Not just because they're British and I can barely understand them, but because they're like saying lines like, you're fat, Tom, you look like you're fat, but you're not. It's like, no one talks that way or I don't even know what that fucking means. Yeah, he leans so hard on like the, the banter aspect of it and then like other other movies or other things about gangsters love to do the like he comes out with a frilly apron on and gloves because actually he's very domestic and this is like no it's all they're just living it's just boring and weird (laughs) like they got the shits because he made a bad stuffed cabbage like you know and he (laughs) thinks about serving it he puts it on the tables and he's like yeah i should because his ego is like that wasn't me but then he comes like yeah fuck it i really shouldn't poison my entire birthday party guests and i want to go back to guy like i do like that guy writes banter in a way that is so excessive that doesn't even make sense anymore. I think that's funny, but it's not real. It doesn't make me like think, oh, this is how these lads are talking. I think he's just like, so, I think he's so meta at this point where he's just random men talking about nothing is funny to him. And it's sort of funny, but this well, is I mean, so it's, much It's better. all the post-Tarantino shit, but also it's yeah. like, sometimes those jockier directors try to make those guys seem like cool Mm. as they do that. And no one is cool in these movies. Milo is likable, which is probably the nicest thing you can say about anyone in the franchise is that like he... And Radovan's likable. That's true. But Radovan, I would say, it gets the only actual... I, I hesitate to say redemption arc, but like he does seem like he's made <laughs> war criminals. Uh, uh, yes, it's a Serbian war criminal who's now simply a shish kebab guy and not always but, butchering yeah. corpses. Like, yeah, he just does it when he wants. Right. So like, it, it's just great, you know. Like be, because the the moral, the lack of moralizing is so relieving, and the lack of stylization is so relieving, and we just get a day in the life of this guy who's just. This is just it. It's never really going to get better. Yeah. And he's just going to tread water. And, and again, it, it, people often, the, the classic moralizing thing about gangster movies is like, oh, is this, you know, celebrating prurient or criminal behavior? And again, it's like, if you can watch these three movies and be like, wow, it sure is cool to be a gangster, you're like a fucking lunatic. But also, I think it doesn't, it's so like beyond that it's like it doesn't even it does not care that's what i was talking about earlier it's like reffin loves the gangster but it's not to say whether it's good or bad i think he just really likes a person with a purpose it's so easy by his own by his own statements like he's fascinated with people who make decisions to live outside of the norms of society yeah and in a way like his weird you know, scientific dissection of that into this extremely banal series of movies about oh. extraordinary shit happening in a really matter of fact yeah. way. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's cool. And it's sort of like, I remember, you know, when I was at Hampshire and took some postmodernist literature class and like for a while, people were all about the detective novel because there's like the fact that a person has a purpose and clues and a very set line that allows for a lot of fucking with and I think Reference sort of likes that too. Like these are gangsters, capital G. Like everyone knows what a gangster is because we've been taught it through decades and centuries of culture. And he's like, no, these are just sort of like 
pathetic worm men that well there's like working guys and their job is a is a fucking nightmare full of like horrifying things and they're just so dead to it and inert to it so we've this two i don't think really talked about it as much but like the fact that the first one is so obsessed with money like the ending third of that movie is just like every word is followed by kroner the second one like drugs but it's but it's also not just like it so leans into Tawny needing a job and he's like basically just like clocking into work. And it's like makes again, like everything is so about the work. It's not about the lifestyle of a gangster. It's like, this is their lives. This is their job. This isn't something cool to do. This is just what they're doing. It's not cool. It is how they make money and how they feel worth. And as we noted while watching it, no one does cocaine in this movie. Nobody. Which is we insane. Thought, we stood up and cheered, and then just as Milo goes, well, okay, Patooey. 67 minutes into the movie, <laughs> someone does a line. Which, if you watch Pusher 2, it is incomprehensible that you know this movie would have like? so few lines being done. I felt like Milo himself needing a hit. Not like you got we, excited. You're, you're. <laughs> I needed somebody to do a line of coke. I was like, "What the fuck?" I was getting sweaty and tense. Right. Like, why is no one doing coke? We should rewatch Pusher Two and count the number of times cocaine is consumed by doing a line of cocaine. You would die. Would I? I, would I feel also like I die. would. I would, would maybe just die. run around. I think you're <laughs> underestimating. That's what coke does, right? Yeah, it makes you fun. It makes and you sprightly. run around. Um, yeah, no. So he does, he uh, he's offered cocaine by the Polish human trafficker, and it is gross Polish speed. And Patooey. Milo, Milo is like yuck, yuck, yuck. I don't want, I don't want speed, you fool. Do you think the actor who plays Milo is some sort of like lifelong user? The, I mean, I don't. I think that's a little convenient. I think he's. I, I'm really just. I'm not. I'm just. I'm not. I'm just using that as a way to get into his acting skills to play someone with lifelong mannerisms built around paraphernalia and drug use like the way he touches his nose the way he smokes a cigarette like he does it in such a way that it feels so natural as though he's been doing it his whole life and a plus to milo for his just believability again it comes back to like this isn't like in the remake where it's like a fucking swipe cut bullshit showing a man doing a line of coke this is just him like lightly touching his nose as he breathes in to get the last little dregs of coke that's on his right it's, it's been like a sad aging addict like it's, yeah it, it, he's he sort of idly paws at his nose because he just does it every day yeah like he, you know so there's the great zlato burek plays milo we love him that's the first time i think we've said his name and it's far yeah. too late in my opinion zlato so according to the trivia around this movie Apparently, the reception of this movie in Denmark made Refn be like, all right, I'm done making movies in Denmark. These they fucking, didn't like it. These cowards don't like my incredibly gory, <laughs> this sad is, So this movies. is it. Like, the other ones were, the first one was sort of violent, but also very boring in its, in its action. The second one was incredibly boring in action scenes. There was almost no violence except for the final stabbing, but most of it is not really that shown. This, like... He's like, fine. You guys want some? You want some fucking gore? You want some violence? I will just have a man treating a, a body like it's a pig. Right. There's like a, a disembowelment and then a butchering, but it's like pretty boring. It's and boring. Like, yeah, it's, it's upsetting, but like it's funny. Or is it just like they've just got to get this done? And it's yeah. like you know. Uh, okay. So this is interesting. We got the actor uh, Ilyas Agak. I'm probably butchering your name. Sorry, mm-hmm. Ilyas, uh, who played Muhammad. Uh, he had to go to jail. And this was. <laughs> Done being made, so Aww. Refn had to take the movie to jail so that he could see it. Oh, that's nice, um, Refn. Yeah. Like Pusher and Pusher 2, unsurprisingly, this is a sequentially shot movie, wow. which, again, given that this is the tightest, the tightest timeline of all the three movies, again, it'd be impossible.
impossible, I think, to do it any other way. Um, it's really easy to do, too. Like, they basically just... Like, I, if this movie costs more than X amount of money, like, it, it, this this is shot in three locations with people talking and, and right. nothing else. It's it's really so, so effective. The NA meeting attendees are, in fact, I uh, thought so. drug addicts. Yeah. Um, the, someone notes the price of the fried fish that he buys at the, the Chinese restaurant where he runs into... And the beautiful cosmic element of that where, oh, he, you know, so to, to replace his... This, you know raw stuffed cabbage that's giving people food poisoning he, he like does a classic dad thing it's like i'm gonna run to the chinese food restaurant and get 60 egg rolls yeah no like we don't have 60 egg rolls they're hey fried fish oh my so god that was one of the funniest fucking things right. the guy's like do you want to eat that here to go and it's like such an absurd such question, question. Yeah. and he's just Milo just like so to, confused to by it <laughs> um so like b- because of this like sad useless effort to replace his his sarma, that's the only reason he gets back Dude, into heroin in the movie. It's which is fucking hysterical. like Greek level. Like that's the thing is it's so funny that it's this grand cosmic meeting of the cunt and Milo because Milo there's hair on the needed cunt. another to, great moment in the ugh, movie. Milo needed to go replace the food that he shouldn't have made in the first place and it's like this grand event but in in this movie it's just like milo's chilling at a at a chinese restaurant waiting for his fish and, and someone noted the price of the fish is 15 kroner the same it is the, i did that too i did it tablets. i did it in my head yeah, too it okay. was, it was a, a very funny little uh yeah wink there um so uh, i'm a genius i'm so smart and beautiful look at me go the fourth movie was going to be the muhammad movie really but the actor was in jail for so long that it never huh. happened. i yeah. mean that makes sense he is I don't think the other main there's only like one other character other than maybe his daughter. It could have been a, a daughter movie, but they already did that. Yeah, I think uh the watch scene, the whoever that guy was, like that is an awesome scene where Yes, we're speaking of Luan Slavko yeah, Slavko Lebovich. He could have been No, no, sorry, been, sorry, sorry, that's Radovan, my bad. Sorry. Wrong guy, wrong guy. Don't be mad at Luan me. Luan is uh the other person I was thinking of. Kuchtim Loki yeah. plays Luan, who's the head of the Albanian mob. There's an amazing scene where to stall for time and money, um uh Milo decides to give his Bulgari, his fancy Bulgari watch to Luan. And there's this incredible bit of business. No one talks about it. No one talks about it where Luan takes off his watch, puts on the new fancy watch, gives his prior watch to his underling, who then takes off his watch and throws it to somebody else in the room. Like chucks it across the room. And meanwhile, they're having a conversation about like collateral and what to do next. And it's just this like... Again, the business, there's everything is business with these people. Everything has a worth. And like after he's mercilessly slaughtered these two people, like Radovan's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Don't take their shit. Don't take that watch. Like, I don't want any of that. And Milo's just like, hey, man, I killed this guy. I'm going through the pockets. And he goes to his drawer of <laughs> shit purloined from corpses. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's the, the, everything has value to these people except for life. Like everything is money. It's 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 really perfect. I, I think this movie also succeeds because you're expecting like a huge blow up with the daughter is like the main source of personal conflict in this movie. Right, right, like, if you're, oh if you're, no, he's missing from the party. What the fuck's going to happen? Virgin film viewer versus Chad Reffin. 
you the virgin's like, oh, he'll have to apologize to his yeah. daughter for being a criminal, which would be the most boring. Or for not being at, like, yeah. for fucking up the party and everyone's mad at him. And, right. But, like, no, everyone just parties like, oh, hey, dude. I, where you I, been, bud? Where you been? It's like, it's oh, like, God, I got a sex trafficker in my club and I got to fucking kill this Polish guy. And they just have a night and then they just, like, chill that morning. He's like, here, I'll make you some coffee before I go back to bed. And right. Like, Their Thanks. big emotional moment is a heroin deal. Yeah. <laughs> Their big emotional moment is hammering out the details of a fucking heroin operation. Yeah. Like, that's, that's their big moment. And it is in the party. I sort of like we were talking earlier about the the visual style, where the second one's like bathed in red and green, and this is like you see that, but it's at the party in another room. And I don't know if this is intentional. I'm probably reading too much into it, but it's like Milo is sort of like outside. He's outside the style. Like he's yeah. he doesn't get that treatment from Ruffin. He just gets the cold uh, neon light. And right. That's I mean, it. He, he's a he's a big portly older man who's just keeping the shit moving forward. Like he doesn't get this like sexy treatment. No. Um, he speaks a lot of languages. Yeah, Polish, Polish. Uh, Croatian, but Danish. What's awesome is that in the same one, the, the first movie moved like a lot of money transferring around. Like the way that this movie constantly uses translation to just show how a everyone's fucking each other over. B no one is like connected at all. Like you always need this third person to be fucking with everybody in the middle. It's really amazing the way. Yeah, that yeah. This... Luan's the Albanian underling who gets the Who's hammer that guy? treatment. What's that guy's name? Um, I'll look it up. Uh, but he's great. He's constantly in the midst of all of the wheeling and dealing, always finding a way to cut in more for him or yes. to uh, hide key details. But you know, it, the, the, the 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 using weaponizing language uh, for his ill-gotten gains. It's really good. It's like yes. it's a really a, just like such a great use of time in this movie to like slow things down because you get to hear the same dialogue twice so it's sort of boring in some ways but also the changes really show how they're not really that connected but then there's moments where they like laugh because they speak the same language and milo's like what the fuck are you guys fucking with me so like there is this radamam husseini i believe is oh, his name he is great he's he, great he is like the perfect person for that role i really like i'm not sure we'll get to mvps in just a minute but i just like sorry milo's serbian not croatian please don't be mad at me everybody it's so hard. he speaks every language I it's know. hard to know where he's from he's a he's a man of the world uh yeah. i i just just oh, milo man he's yeah so let's get out of the way my mvp is yeah, milo milo man. is both the movie and the, the series of course MVP. i know this he's... is so boring that's why we waited for the last five minutes of yeah. this episode to do but he wins both, MVP, he wins both. Series I, MVP. I mean he's a constant He's been in all of them, but he's also the, he's I, I think I don't think he's always thematically the life of the movie, but for that bridge sense as also he's just like every scene he's in, he's fucking perfect. Well, the part of being a director is being like, who's just interesting? And, and the fact that Refn, who, again, seemingly had no intention of making this a franchise prior to dire economic necessity to make zero budget movies again as quickly as possible, was like. I got this guy, and I'm going to play that card, you know. Yeah. I, and 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 the guy I'm going to have in all of these movies will be Milo. He's amazing. Wait, it's an amazing you, I'm series. Concern? Are you are you going to backtrack and give Ref in the MVP for choosing no. Milo? Okay. I'm, not, I'm trying to get out, get out of my bad oh, habit. Good. Um, I will say it does seem like get Muhammad episode. is implied to have lived if he was supposed to be in yeah. the fourth one, which, which is, is cool. I mean, that's the thing is it doesn't matter whether he was fucking with him because like. It could have been ecstasy. You could have sold it and then had this little baggie of candy. Or it could have been shit. And Milo could have been fucked over by Luan. It's like, ultimately, it doesn't really... I think that's what's so good about this one is that it really points out 
what we don't need to know what's going on. Right, right. It's not about figuring out the thing. And yeah. I think, you know, lately there's been a lot of really great examples of filmmakers embracing the because it, it's funny. Um, I, I think J.J. Abrams is sort of like the polar opposite in this regard who loves like it's a MacGuffin and that's the whole thing. Get it. It's fun. It's a MacGuffin, but it's annoying. Right. And we invest so much. Yeah. in Hitchcock used the MacGuffin. Uh, JJ just was like, it, "What if? What if the MacGuffin weren't just a MacGuffin and the entire fucking movie?" Right? Like, it's, it's, it's super irritating, it's so annoying. And in this, there is no center to it. There's no secret to unravel. Is Dixie real or not? Doesn't matter. He needs the money or the drugs. Right? It does not matter. Who cares? It will make no difference to Ugh. Milo. And it's refreshing to watch a movie where you know it's unencumbered by that. We're just watching people live in a way that is riveting and fascinating. Yeah. So. Let's get to ranking the series. I think this will be somewhat uncontroversial. Yeah, three, two, one. Three, two, one. Yeah, I mean, and, just and get better and better. I, as I rank them in Letterbox, that's five, four and a half, and four for me. So mm. I mean, these are three movies that I think are excellent. Yeah, I go four and a half, five, five. Fair enough. Yeah, I yeah. think I, I really like the fifth one. I think, or sorry, the fifth one. Is there a fifth one? Not yet, baby. There ain't a fourth maybe one. Maybe I just maybe my mind just traveled into the future. Could be. Wow. <laughs> Who's to say? Mind on drugs. You're the not on fifth drugs. one? The fifth one. Did you spike my... I like that non-drug doers <laughs> have this idea of drugs that are super funny. I skipped a number. I'm on drugs. Oh my God, I can feel my brow. I'm not going to. Touch the brow. I refuse to touch your brow. Okay. I shan't. Okay. I shan't do it. Uh, I shan't touch the brow. Yeah, they just get... I think for me, Tawny has a magic. That movie's fucking awesome. Uh, but I really said... Like this to me is the an example of a six star movie out of five stars like this does no wrong and does even better well, th- somehow. this is the longest movie of the trilogy it's 108 minutes which which oh wow i didn't even... substantially longer than the other one which is where you feel you feel like you would feel that given how no. slow it is but right no i'm fucking i thought it was another tight 90 i could if this movie was half an hour longer i would i wouldn't have complained so i no. mean and i rarely say that so i mean i really think this is above and beyond the best of the trilogy yeah um Again, it's fun because you could watch this alone. It's certainly an option. I think you would still enjoy the movie. That's how I did it the first time, and I remember it being more slow. I remember, I remember like really feeling it, and not in a negative way, but just like the time was passing with Milo. And for some reason, this viewing, I had more of a like, I felt the like a peppy pace. A peppy pace. Well, we love the Milo. We do love the Milo. Yeah, wow. it's. Uh, but it was really fun to watch with you. I think I didn't laugh the first time, and this time I was chuckling. We had a very big laugh together about one scene. This is a great movie to share with a family. It's such a family movie. Let me say this. Not a date movie. It depends. I think nope. that I... Nope. I, Not a date I, movie. I, <laughs> Jury's I, back. Hold on. Come back in, jury. Dun, dun, dun. In the case of uh, is it a date movie? We the jury finds no, not a date movie. I'm Wait, John that? F. Kennedy. <laughs> is that John F. Kennedy? What's that in that window? <laughs> the CIA killed Kennedy. I think you could. I I, I think I'm not going to go to like a bridge test or a ridge test or a fridge test, but it is a good date test. Like if you want someone that shares your, if you like this movie. <laughs> Charles, and you're already thinking about dis- marriage. You're thinking about kids. Charles. On your first date, if you want to know, like just like as a test, no, this is the, the this the, is the, the worst m- advice. Movie test. You can be like extraordinary. I'm going to show you advice. a fun gangster movie, and if they like it, 
Well, then you can get married right yes, then and there. That's the worst advice we've ever given on the show. If you, if yeah. Okay, so Charles, we've made it to the end of another series. I'm, I'm sad again. I, I, you I love know. that one. I love it when you get sad at the end because yeah, I, I was not sad to say goodbye to Riddick. That shit was a See fucking ya. mess. Goodbye. Cars was awful. See ya. Real bad. That should have ended. We we unfortunately we yeah. pushed that too. Far. I feel like it's really crazy that Saw and Pusher have really like some really grim, brutal movies have emerged as weirdly. Well, I guess the, the, the they're so they're not mawkish. They're not trying to appeal to me in a way that feels cheap. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Like, what's awesome? Like storytelling has almost always been franchising. You know, it's like from Dickens serialized, like all this shit. Especially what Reffin's pulling off, like old gangster serials and stuff like that. Like. People like that. People like to like always come back to something familiar, and then the the authors can build on that appreciation for the shared knowledge. And what's awesome is that both Saw and this take franchising incredibly seriously, but not to a fault. Like Saw is so wrapped up in itself in such an amazing way that you just have to applaud it and you fall into it. And I think here it's it's very separate, but Reffin does so. The other thing where he just like franchises by having small intersections of a larger world and i think both of them are taking franchising very seriously and they could never end and that that would be fine whereas cars and riddick is like what if the coolest guy in the world were just in my movie well the cars thing is like we constantly have to be learning lessons about something and it sucks because they're kids movies and i get it but like it's very irritating where it's like Every movie Lightning has to, or fucking Mater has to learn some awful, <laughs> idiotic lesson that that sucks and is completely disingenuous. But also, and the, then the it, franchise doesn't even work either because they're just so like, here's the toys. Right. That they're like, we'll move, make a movie with these toys you know, and it doesn't have to connect in any other way. Well, and that's well, what, but, but the moralizing is the sugar pill that gets yes. the, the, the selling of toys down. And then in Riddick, it's like, okay, this guy's got to be fucking cool. Shit, fuck, fuck, fuck. What's the coolest shit this guy can do? And it's like, Jesus Christ. And it's we've like, been doing this too long to compare Cars to Riddick, but it's I think it's the same. It's You have, they are franchising on the character, which can work, but ultimately if all, your, all the knowledge that is bringing you to the next movie is, oh, I recognize that car or I recognize that bald necromonger, then your story has to be very good. Otherwise, they're not going to feel franchised or connected. Right. And I think when when The Mandalorian was in its full honeymoon era, mm, it really felt it like, doing. thank God, we're just seeing, like, you know, the, the, the one of the most interesting jobs in this galaxy that we all know and love. Steve. We're just going to watch. Pardon? Steve Jobs. No, different guy. Oh, but he's the most fascinating. Oh, God. So, you know, we got that sort of like slice of life thing that felt right. Really, it was unencumbered by we're not building to this thing. You Obviously, I lo- say about Star Wars a lot. Enough with the wars. I just <laughs> want the stars and the honeymoon phase, whatever you call it, the Mandalorian. Just give me the stars. The sweet, sweet stars. stars. Yeah. The wars were happening probably, but I want to yeah. the stars. I want the stars. So, Charles, um, what's our next franchise? I'm glad you asked. You're going to hate it. Okay. You know it, and you're going to hate it. I, oh, no, I you do know, know it. You know it, and you're going to hate it. Oh, fuck. This uh, is actually a big event, then. This is actually a big it. event. In about three and weeks, you. y'all are about to get a what I'm assuming will be a five-hour-long episode. <laughs> that would be fun. Oh, uh, we are continuing uh, the, part the, five of the Batverse. Bum, bum, bum. So this is a, a fun. We rarely do this where we're like, we decided to... Like, we might do this with Bond one day where we'll, like, break up a larger franchise into parts. So we are now into the Nolan section of the Batverse. Right. We thought it would be a bit much to slap together 
the Burton and Schumacher and, and Nolan DC. movies. And right, it's just it's too because much. The, the 90s ones are a total mess in a way that at times is deliriously fun. Mm, like with one the first time Schumacher, for me. once yeah, the first yeah. Schumacher is in so retrospect, yeah. man, those four movies are really cursed. Uh, one of the four is not objectively a pain in the ass. And now we're going into a whole other chapter of the Batverse when things get a little serious. Mm. What, wait, why? Uh, why, so, why is it getting so serious? Do you ever wonder how, how I made three movies? I haven't. I didn't even know you made three. <laughs> Swear to me that you'll watch. Okay, <laughs> that you'll watch. Oh my God. Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. Uh. Um, I, I guess, swear it. Swear to me. Um, I, listeners may not know this. I, I like to assume some of our <laughs> listeners are not totally steeped in our idiotic lore. But um, for a long time, a long time, The Dark Knight Rises was a movie that I, I bitterly, bitterly hated from the bottom of my being. We haven't talked about it in In a long months. time. So we'll save a lot of this for the series. But suffice to say, <laughs> this is a trilogy ending in me revisiting for the first time in almost a decade. Oh, this is going to be a so A movie that I, I truly and I, I really, for as hyperbolic as I am, I very rarely 100% hate something. Like I often like a lot of you yeah. Know, you're a nuanced lad. Thank you. You well, well, see the depths of things. People who wa- watch a lot of movies frequently, we we watch a lot of bad movies and really enjoy them because there's like a weird kind of elegance or funny. Like there's things to draw out of it that are interesting. And I found a cynicism and a coldness and a condescension in that movie that made me hate movies for a little bit. Wow. So, well, I hope I I actually have. I think you're gonna like it. Well, we're going to find out together. I bet you're going to like it. Us and the Fuck Squad are going to find out as a wow. squad heading into the future. So, hey, we're on Patreon. We have our uh, Why Won't It End podcast. We've done a lot of fun stuff this year. The guy, Rit- guy Joel Guy Ritchie, mm-hmm. where we explored failed franchising attempts from Guy Ritchie. Um, we watched the Pusher remake, the truly terrible post uh, Guy Ritchie, yeah. essentially. And I've also been pulling from the the past, which no one's really. I mean, maybe, maybe everyone's listening to old episodes of the Real Deal with Josh. I doubt Trump. it. I hope not. Yeah. So I'm choosing the good ones and sort of putting them into the mix as well, so you don't have. So, to So go Charles back. is doing a curatorial archival thing. We're also yeah, watching. I get the spin-offs. gloves out. Yeah. So a lot to look forward to there. But join us next week. Wait, we got to tell him how to do it. Go to patreon.com. Yeah, slash. Slash WWIE podcast. That's right. I remembered. It's only $5 a month. Only $5 a month. You get to hear even more of our delightful back and forth. And yeah, join us as Batman freaking begins next week. And until (laughs) then, swear to me. Okay. I farted. Uh, everyone, that uh, some songs are fictional, like the Decemberist songs. No, those, they're real. They're just bad. <laughs> Wait, what? They're real songs. Wait, like, that song about the, the whore is what a real? song about the whore? I, didn't, I never listened to that shit. That band's terrible. The one where they're like, my mom is a whore and she fucks sailors to give me money. Yeah, I don't By listen to the that. December. I don't listen to the Decembers. Okay, ready to what? go? We got our pre-roll. <laughs> we got the pre-roll. Okay. Yeah. All right, ready? Yeah, I counted down. Oh, wait, say it. Just say it. I'll just say it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> hem, hem, hem.